All right, good morning, church. Thank you for switching on the lights uh, so that I can see everyone's faces. <laughs> so good to see all of you. And um, this morning, uh, I, com- I come to you as a parent. And uh, <laughs> so as, as I think about today's sermon, uh, a, a lot comes to mind. Uh, today's sermon, I, I've titled it Christian Parenting, Putting an End to the Blaming Game. Uh, the Blame Game, rather. Last week, uh, we studied together from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Uh, I hope you all remember. Uh, if you don't, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little uh, review this morning. There I explained how children are to obey their parents uh, because it is in accordance with both the natural and revealed law of God. However, this obedience is to be grounded in our utmost allegiance to God. And then as children, we are also called to honor our parents even when we cannot obey or please them. And this continuous action of honoring our parents is a ministry of a lifetime. Also, this is a commandment not just to the individual, but to the whole body of Christ, his church. In turn, if we obey and, and honor this commandment, the people of God are blessed through our honoring and obeying. Finally, we learn that even Jesus, when he was on earth, obeyed and honored his earthly parents while showing full allegiance to God, his heavenly Father. And we look at three examples of that. And today, we'll continue in our passage. We will study verse 4 and identify the role of parents in training their children according to our passage. And the commandment for parents to nourish their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you our Father and we can learn of your mercy and grace towards us. Father, as we we come before you, as we learn your word, we pray that your spirit will guide us and open the hearts of our minds so that we can see the truths in your word and we can learn from them, we can be convicted by them, and we can be renewed in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, my title of today's sermon is Putting an End to the Blame Game. Now, what do I mean by the blame game? Some more often than others, I think, among us, we play the blame game in our daily lives. Um, I say that because I've done that in my past, too. Take, for example, when you become late to work one morning and you left home the same time you would every day, but a traffic accident happened in front of your, your bus, causing a massive traffic, traffic jam and you're in the middle of the highway and there's no way out. You know, you're stuck with your bus until it moves. What are the first thoughts that goes to your mind? For those of us who are on one extreme end of the blame spectrum, you can always find something, something else to blame, something else apart from yourself. You would attribute the cause of your lateness to maybe whoever caused that accident up, up, up ahead. Or maybe you blame the police for not clearing and directing the road quickly enough. Or you blame the bus driver for not skillfully maneuvering the bus while the blockade was still not there. You know, you you blame other people, you blame other things. But it is also possible that some of us blame um, ourselves. We're on the other side of the blame spectrum. Uh, Even when they've had nothing to do with the unfavorable outcome of the event. Uh, You would be maybe blaming yourself for not reading the traffic news before taking the bus. Uh, Or you would blame yourself for not running faster to the bus stop, you know, and catching the bus earlier on. It is also possible that some of us here blame God or the devil entirely for the misfortunes we are in, especially when we are unable to find fault in people. And so we blame the spiritual realm. For example, if a typhoon, let's say, comes and some debris from outside hits your window and breaks your glass, and there's rainwater pouring into your home, damaging you know, everything you can see in, in your home, 
some of us may be attributing that event on how God is testing our faith or is punishing us or how the devil is engaging in spiritual attacks to cause hardship and division in our families. You know, the truth is, regardless of where we tend to be on this blame spectrum, we are always consciously or subconsciously trying to attribute our mishaps to someone or something. And when it comes to parenting, which is the topic of today, if our children don't turn out the way we expect them to, who or what do we start blaming? Some of us may begin by blaming ourselves or our spouses. Then we move on to blaming our parents, our own parents, of how they treated us. Or maybe the children's teachers or their friends at school or even the church. We may even apportion blame to external circumstances. And let me list two examples of these external circumstances that are quite prevalent today. In Hong Kong, where we all live, uh, we live in a highly capitalistic society. To put it simply, families who are wealthier and more educated have more time and access to resources for their children. And these resources may be better or more exclusive schools and learning opportunities, such as tutoring, interest classes, study abroad programs. We all know the spiel. Families who are less wealthy often then view the ways of these wealthier parents do parenting as a benchmark, a benchmark of which they want to have access to similar resources for their children. So under this social paradigm that we are in in Hong Kong, the blame for their children's underachievement and unsuccess are then often attributed to how poor or rich their parents are. But is it right for us to blame our socioeconomic status for the well-being of our children? Let's think about that for a minute. Here's another example. If we are new parents in this century, the 21st century, it's probably the case that you feel utterly lost and confused by the sheer endless number of parenting approaches that are advocated for or warned against. I'm sure that's the case for all new parents. Um, especially when there's so a proliferation of these information on the internet and parenting books and so on and so forth. Parenting is now a rigorously studied science. Did you know that? Or for some, a pseudoscience. Uh, where theories and practices are continually proven or disproved by research. Some of the most common parenting styles that you may have heard of include, listen, authoritarian parenting, authoritative parenting, permissive parenting, uninvolved parenting, helicopter parenting, free-range parenting, attachment parenting, positive parenting. Now, I've never heard of negative parenting, but maybe there is one out there. Do any of the names ring a bell? And maybe you're thinking, what kind of parent am I? or will I be, trying to figure out what I agree or disagree, or which style of parents belonged, uh, which style of parenting does, did your parents belong to, and how it didn't work out for you? Or are we utterly confused? I mean, I just gave you a list of parenting styles without giving you any explanation on. Well, if you're overwhelmed, you're tracking along just fine. The idea of parenting can be disorienting and scary, primarily because we don't know what to do um, sometimes, and, and we want, we're afraid of doing the wrong things for our children. We are afraid that maybe one day we'll be picking on one of these wrong parenting styles for our children and end up being blamed for that mistake. We think that it is up to us now to make all the right choices so that our children can prosper and succeed. But then again, is it right for us to be blaming our parenting styles and methods if our children don't grow up the way we expect them to? So I, here I've only listed two examples of how the blame game could play out in our families. And whether or not your parents, I'm sure that you have either observed or can imagine how that blame game could be played out in a family setting. Perhaps even your parents have at one time blamed someone or something, right? 
about the negative aspects of your upbringing and constantly telling you about it. The blame game can be endless and has the potential in leading us down a very unhappy and unproductive road that is antagonizing or even destructive to our relationships. I, I want to suggest that this morning, that how we play the blame game when it comes to parenting reveals our truest and deepest desires, as well as our expectations for our children. How we play the blame game reveals our truest and deepest desires. First, when we're blaming, let's say, the lack of money or our lack of access to parenting resources as reasons for our children's unsuccess and misbehavior, could we be misaligning our expectations for our children with God's expectations? Misaligning expectations. Second, when we are constantly thinking about who or what to blame for our children or how they turn out, you know, could it be an, indica an indication that we're actually harboring a lot of anger within ourselves? I want to address these two questions today. To begin, I think God's expectations for our children are clearly expressed in what we studied last week uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. They are to learn to obey and honor God by first learning to obey and honoring you, their parents. Whatever our dreams and aspirations you may have for your children should not replace or exceed this prerequisite. Understanding the importance of this expectation from God is where we ground ourselves in understanding verse 4, which we'll be studying today. So what are Christian parents actually called to do? Today's passage reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, let's acknowledge that verse 4 is addressed um, specifically to fathers here. While it is spelled out clearly in verses 1 to 3 that children are to obey and honor both mother and father, which means that both mother and father have authority over the child and can equally instruct the child, Paul is calling fathers to take the lead in applying verse 4. Now this is coherent with the teachings of chapter 5, the chapter before this, where husbands are called to be the head of the household. I consider this quite profound to be preached during the time that this was written. Fathers during the Roman times uh, owned everything in the house. All right. They were the overlords of everything in their household. They, they could do everything, whatever uh, they wanted uh, with his property, including his wife, children, and slaves, if they had any. When the fathers is called to be the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church, Fathers are actually called to love his family to the point of seeing his own life lesser than the life of his wife and kids. In other words, seeing the lives of his kids and wife more precious than his own. He must be ready to make sacrifices for the benefit of his family. But while fathers take the lead, mothers need to come alongside in consistently applying the instructions of verse 4 in order for the child to flourish. So why anger? What is, what is this first instruction here in verse 4 about anger? It says, fathers, do not provoke your child to anger. Let's think for a minute. For of all the instructions that Paul could have given here, you know, why, why didn't he say, don't discourage your children or don't abandon your children? or don't mistreat your children. Why, why, why does Paul says don't provoke them to anger? Well, scripture here doesn't give us a direct answer, but we can find some clues in studying the word and examining other parts of the Bible where Paul had used this word. So again, some Greek. Um, in its original Greek, the term provoke to anger is translated actually from one word. Uh, I'm gonna botch the pronunciation. It's Par or jizo, okay? It's actually a compound word made up of par and orjizo. Par, which means from close beside, okay? Really close, up close. And orjizo means become angry. 
There's an English saying that some, someone or something is really pushing your buttons or pushing my buttons. You guys familiar with this saying? You really are pushing my buttons. It, it means that you know, you're doing or saying something that is just to make someone angry or upset. So just imagine this for, for a minute, just in your minds. When, when trying to understand what Paul is meaning here by provoked, provoking a child to anger, that a parent is up against the child in a very small elevator, it's right up against him or her. And the parents has pushed all the buttons on the elevator, no, making, making the whole uh, experience prolonged. All right. So, yeah, imagine this for a minute. The Bible says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not make your child feel that he or she is up against a corner, leaving them no choice but to be angry with you and what you're trying to say or do. But, but why do we want to avoid anger? Why do we want to avoid it? Let's take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 to 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity uh, to the devil. Or, or in here, do not give the devil a foothold. We all know that anger is a very passionate emotion that we can have against people or their actions. It's normal to have such emotions at times. In fact, even Jesus showed anger when he grieved over people's unrepentant hearts in Mark chapter 3. And when he saw that people were defiling the temple of God in John chapter 2. We are to be careful not to keep such emotions for too long, however, as they can be easily be perverted and changed into harmful feelings towards uh, or even actions uh, against other people. Likewise, as parents... Do not make our children angry by becoming unreasonable and overbearing with our demands, uh, like we've addressed last week. However, sometimes that's unavoidable. Kids just get angry. I mean, my kids get angry all the time for no reason. Or, well, not, I shouldn't say no reason. There's, there's some reason, but reasons that I have no clue about. Um, but if they do become angry, however, don't allow that anger harbor in their hearts for too long. Make every effort to reconcile with your kids. Help them to come out of that anger. Otherwise, what might happen is they could begin to harbor hate against you as parents or towards God. Let us look at one more passage found in Ephesians 4 and see what Paul says about overcoming anger in relationship to God, the Father. And I, I hope that this will be one of the most crucial strategies for overcoming anger in our children and in ourselves too. Chapter 4, verse 31 to chapter 5, verse 2. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, be beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is saying, do not be angry, be forgiving. But not only does he leave us with a commandment, but then he says, as God in Christ forgave you. Our Heavenly Father sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sinful anger. And God is telling us not to be angry by thinking about how great a cost it was to him, the Father, to put an end to both his anger towards us as well as our anger towards him and each other. So parents, don't just stop doing things that provoke anger in your children, but rather start doing things that remove and overcome anger. This may mean that you have to apologize to your child for making them angry. I know it's difficult, but maybe that's something you have to do. Sometimes parents say things, including myself, in the heat of the moment where words were primarily motivated by status rather than what's true or fair. We think things like, because I'm your parents, therefore I must be, have the last word in this conversation. 
or I'm your parent, therefore you're wrong and I'm right, so on and so forth. Well, if you know what I'm talking about, then please don't wait until they're teenagers or adults to like start, remember that time when I said that? I'm sorry. You know, perhaps think about doing that before the sun goes down tonight. Perhaps for some of us, it is to allow God to deal with our own anger within our own hearts first. Show that, and show our children that we strive to become imitators of God and we are walking in the love of Christ. Show that it is possible. All right, let's look at the next set of words in our verse. Bring them up. Let's go back to... uh, Bring them up. The word in Greek literally means to feed, to feed. So in Chinese it's yong yok, yong yok tamun, to feed and effectively nourish, nurture. The same word is used in uh, chapter five, verse 29. Uh, please hear as I speak. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the word for nourish or bring them up communicates the same thing, that there is to be a great heart of love behind all the discipline and instruction for the child. There's to be a great heart of love. Next set of words, in the discipline. The word discipline, um, in its original Greek, can also mean training, training. So here in Chinese, it's gaofan. Unlike teaching, which is what I'm doing now, which is just transfer information to you, Discipline and training have more to do with the trainee, or in this case, the child doing what is necessary to reap the benefit of the training itself. I mean, a very simple, simple example is if we want bigger muscles, which I don't have, you know, you would need to start putting them under pressure and stretching them and tearing them and then letting them heal. And over time, they'll become bigger muscles. I mean, sure, you would probably benefit from studying the right techniques or knowing the physiology behind it and and so on and so forth so so you don't get hurt when you're training. But until you get down and actually do your push-ups and start lifting weights, your muscles will never grow. Don't expect your child to know what is right from wrong. Nor would they Know the ways of the Lord until you as parents discipline and train them for it. It's not common sense in a sense. Training and discipline is required. The next word is instruction, instruction. And actually this word's better translated as admonition or warning. So in Chinese it's gengai, which is more um, close to the original meaning. Apart from drilling our kids to practice doing the right things, which is what training does, we as parents must also admonish or warn our children of the consequences for doing the wrong things. Again, the whole point is not to make them angry at you, but to save them from, an, from uh, destruction. Lastly, in the verse, it says, of the Lord, of the Lord. Of the Lord qualifies everything we studied today the expectations of our children should be directed by our, uh, sorry, the expectations of our children should not be directed by our own desires or what the world demands of them, but rather they should be expectations that are set out by God, as we've read from verse one to three. The content of our teaching is to be from the Lord. I take this to mean that we teach our children the whole of the Bible. We teach them to discern what is true and what is false based on what is set out in the Word of God. And the methods we use to apply discipline and training should be modeled after the way of the Lord. And for this last part, uh, I want to suggest a simple chart just to help us to meditate, uh, pray about, and apply discipline at home. The chart has two layers, okay? The first layer is the Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son, Spirit. First, let's look at what the Bible says about the work of God the Father 
and how we can find inspiration from him as we learn to discipline our children. Let us read from Hebrews 12, verse 7 to 11. I know the words are tiny, but bear with me. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For you are left without discipline. So if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children of, and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God the Father disciplines his children because he loves them. Even when discipline is perceived by the child to be painful or something to endure, it is there to help the child produce fruits of righteousness with the ultimate goal to share in God's holiness. Now I know there are parents who discipline their children with the mindset that because they did not get the love they thought that they deserved from their parents or the love that, you know, they didn't get the love from their parents uh, when they were younger and had to toughen up on their own. They want their own children actually to be trained and uh, the same way thinking that that's the only way or the best way, uh, by offering as little help to the child and offer mostly harsh, harsh words to the child, such as, you know, tough it out, son, uh, or, you know, I could do this when I was half your age. You know, there, there's probably a time when you do need to get uh, th to that kind of teaching and, and let go and... and um, allow them to fail a few times uh, so that they can learn for their on, the on, the on their own. But please remember that your loving kindness ne also needs to be fully shown and not withheld from your child. You know, and that your child sees that there is joy at the end of the discipline. Uh, explain to them how the outcome benefits them. If you're a parent, no matter how old your child is, I, I encourage you to maybe think about these questions and reflect upon them. And also as we uh, look for inspiration from Father, uh, God our Father. How have you experienced discipline from God who is our good, good Father? To what degree have you submitted to his discipline and trusted in his correction? How can this experience inspire and en enable you to extend the love you receive from God to your child. Second, we look to Jesus, the Son, for strength. Let me read out Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners eat such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, and you, you have not yet resisted to a point of shedding your blood." Remember that your children are sinners just like you. They are neither worse nor better than you before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus and his sacrificial love to make peace with God and people. So in your practice to nurture and correct your child, always look to Jesus for strength to endure so that you will not grow tired or discouraged. The greatest, remember this, the greatest encouragement your child can receive from you 
is to see how you are relying on Jesus just as much as they need to. Perhaps ask yourself a few questions again. What sins are you struggling with today that is causing you to grow tired and become lost in disappointment? Have you surrendered yourself before Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and allowed his work on the cross to encourage you? What sins is your child struggling with today? How can you guide your child toward Jesus? Third, we look at the Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit who lives in the heart of each believer for wisdom and assurance. Let me read John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. As believers and followers of Jesus, we must not forget that the spirit of the living God lives within us, each of us. And believers and followers of Jesus, we, must, we also must understand that wisdom comes from the spirit. And he gives us that wisdom to understand his truths. So don't be anxious, feeling you won't know how to parent your child or that you failed miserably to a point of no return or there's no way to salvage it. But pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will enlighten the hearts, sorry, the eyes of your hearts to see what truths you need to come to understand and trust. The Holy Spirit is also our advocate. What does that mean? It means that he is for us and not against us. It also means that even at times when we don't know that more what more we can do or say to discipline and instruct our child according to the Lord's will, the Holy Spirit will be there to guide and help us. So let's go back to the chart. I pray that we will ponder about this and meditate on this and find inspiration from our Father, strength from the Son, and wisdom and assurance from the Spirit as we embark on this journey in disciplining and in giving instruction to our children as parents. But more to this chart. After looking at meditating at the three persons of the Godhead, the second layer I wanna to add to this chart are the three things that can distract us from God. And us, I mean both parents and children. These three things are taken from the book of Ephesians. And let us be reminded of the true spiritual conditions that you and I are born in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul reminds us that we, before coming to Jesus, we followed the course of this world. I don't know what my kids will come to follow when they grow up. I mean, follow is a big word now. I mean, but older kids today, maybe that's the latest TikTok trend. I don't know. Then Paul says, we also follow the prince of the power of the air. And these are the bad actors in the spiritual realm, right? We often refer uh, to them as the devil or Satan. It is a power that lures us into disobedience. But first and foremost, uh, next slide, please. And the next, please. But first and foremost, the reason why someone can be so easily drawn to follow the world or Satan is that we were dead in our sins. Just like us, our children are natural born sinners. All right, they're all natural born sinners. 
Sinners are naturally drawn to think, say, and do things that are self-serving. That's why our kids are the way, you know, the way they are. They're sinners. My younger daughter, uh, Abby, loves to play board games. Some of you may know that. She's very competitive. She's always trying to get her older sister, Emma, to play with her. Um, but however, Emma, I don't know, being smart or lazy or creative, I don't know, whatever new term there is for, for that kind of behavior, I don't know, but actually I do know she's a sinner. <laughs> Doesn't want to play by the rules. She likes to use the same pieces and make up her own rules. Because Abby really wants someone to play with her, and Emma being the only choice there, you know, she usually agrees to whatever rule she comes up with. What, what, oft, what often happens, I know, I know exactly, right? <laughs> what often happens after a game or two is that Abby would run over to me and start crying. <laughs> Guess what? Emma has been changing and manipulating the rules every time she's losing. <laughs> and so Abby gets really angry and frustrated. But when I asked Emma, like, did you know what you were doing was wrong? At first, she would say, no, there's no problem. I don't know what's going on. We're just playing. I don't know what she's crying about. <laughs> she genuinely doesn't know that it was a problem. And, you know, not until other times when Abby finds a way to cheat Emma, that, you know, we're all equal opportunity sinners, Making her, you know, super frustrated. That's the point where I can teach Emma, you know, this is exactly how you made your sister feel that the other time. Yes, we can blame the world. We can blame capitalism, socialism, government policies, TikTok, Snapchat, you know, toxic and narcissistic t KOLs, you know, uh, uh, on the internet for the destructive and disobedient behaviors of our children. Sure, we can do that. But you can even say that, you know, Satan and the devil is behind all of this destructive uh, behaviors of our children. But don't forget, don't neglect the fact that it all stems from their sinful nature. That's the thing we need to tackle. The world and the works of the devil are even making an impact on our children and in our lives because of our sinful nature. That's what we do. We're drawn to the world. We're drawn to what the, the devil's lies. So yes, we, we still need to reflect on our parenting styles. You know, we still need to plan their education. We still need to put a filter or timer on their internet access. But most of all, we need to come to terms with their sinful nature, just like we have to come to terms with our own. They need to repent of their sinful ways just like we have to repent of ours. They need to believe and trust in Jesus and the work that he has done on the cross, just like we have to surrender to Christ. And they need to know that they too can have the Holy Spirit living within them, guiding their hearts every step of the way in becoming more holy and righteous. And brothers and sisters, the best way for them to observe it is by seeing how joyful we are that we exhibit every day and how we sometimes fail, but we're able to rise up again. How we take no credit in all that we are able, but give glory to the one and only God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Only in Christ can we be made new and put an end to the blame game. Only in Christ can we be made new and put an end to the blame game. Yes, it's so cliche, but it's also the truth. For those of us who are not parents today, you'll find that the same principles apply when it comes to reflecting our, on our relationships with other family members, our siblings, our parents, our grandparents, so forth. I know for some of us whose parents are stubborn, unreasonable, they think they're always right and you are always wrong. I know that kind of parents. I'm not saying mine are. <laughs> I just know that they, they exist. You, you are angry and frustrated. You don't know what to do. Well, turn to God. 
for inspiration, for strength, for wisdom and assurance. Let God first renew our minds so that we have what it takes for us to minister to our family members. So today, that's all I have to share. And I've invited our dear brother in Christ, Sam, uh, to come on stage to share with us his experience growing up. Uh, He's going to share more about his past and how his parents have uh, been disciplining and instructing him and his siblings uh, in the ways of the Lord. Uh, May we all welcome Sam. Thank you, Josh. Josh invited me to come in and talk today about some stories that uh, are very close and very dear to me. They are to my parents and myself as a child. Um, but I want to make it clear that I can't take any credit for it. I was a little longer than around when, when they all happened. Um, <coughs> but I'm hoping that they can be an encouragement for, for all of us as we are learning to to live our life as Christians and, and as Christian parents. My family stories with, with Jesus started a while ago. <coughs> My grandpa and his friend found the New Testament on a train. That was during communism, and you're not supposed to own or read Bibles, but they took it home, they read it, and they became Christians. One of them was the village storyteller, that was grandma, and the other one was the village accordion player. And uh, when they stopped coming and organizing parties in the village, um, the other young people weren't very happy about that. Uh, But instead, they started the house church. And uh, that's how my dad and aunts and and, um, many others got to know uh, Jesus. (coughs) Um, Some years later, um, Dad went to a bigger church in in Bucharest, in Romania's capital, and uh, when the church ended, he went out, heading to the bus stop. It was raining, he had an umbrella, and there was this young lady that was also uh, going home from the church and she didn't have an umbrella and dad offered to share and they started to chat and um, long story short they fell in love they got married <laughs> and uh, a few years later I, I was born <laughs> um, I was born a few years before the fall of the communism in, in Eastern Europe so most of my childhood memories are from a time the country was trying to find its new way in the world. We had freedom, but not much food. Everyone was poor, but we grew to be a family of nine, um, nine children, plus mom and dad, uh, on a worker's salary. And we were poorer than most other people. I remember that at some point we used to have only two toothbrushes, one for mom and dad and one for the children. The world was, was mad, but I didn't see it like that at the time. Mom and dad made it uh, to feel like a very normal, very happy childhood. Uh, dad made us sleds out of scrap metal and scrap wood and mama knitted us clothes and, and hats. And uh, despite the lack of pretty much everything around, they made sure that in our house there were books and there were music. Um, I'm still listening on YouTube now, uh, the music from the two cassettes that I used to have at the time. It's a Christian children's choir. Um, it was hard not to stand up as a Christian and in that time. We used to go together as a family, all of us, on Tuesday evening, Thursday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, every single week, on the streets of the very small town where everyone knew us. 
And uh, every once in a while, the whole church would go out, old people, grown-ups, children, uh, to share the gospel on the streets. I would gather with uh, split the streets among us and then go door to door and talk to people and, and give Bibles and Christian literature. It was a time when people were much more open. Um, I think they had this void left in between the party doctrine on one side and before the uh, modern world took over the, the country. And uh, they were very happy to, to hear about Jesus. But not all of them. Many were openly mocking us, screaming at us on the street, um, saying rude things about mom that really stung. Um, I remember my primary school teacher, I guess no one updated her, uh, she thought that Christian children should never be top of the class because this is what the party used to say. So she would always downgrade my homeworks and tests and all of these things really stung. But what I now, looking back, um, find fascinating <coughs> is how clearly my parents separated the world from the church and family. And made it very clear, the family is that place where we all love each other, we support each other, we encourage each other. The church is that place where we find like-minded people where we can make friends, where we can learn from each other. And the world, well, we have to take it with a pinch of salt, whatever it is. Um, and having that refuge, it was so much easier to get over the challenges of that brutal and, and unfair world. We used to read and discuss together uh, verses like uh, uh, the one in John. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you will love you as it own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Or in, in, in Matthew, blessed us those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And living what we, what we saw in the Bible made it all very, very real for us. But my parents didn't only teach us to accept the unfairness of the world. They worked with their Christian friends to start one of the first Christian youth camps in the country. They collected money to open a Christian library for children. Um, they organized uh, Christian celebrations for, uh, for Christmas. And all of that helped us develop our, our own identity and, and to know that we are special in our own way and we have our own talents and, 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 and the things that the world cannot take away from us. What I appreciate in my parents is, is the way they live their faith. It was simply and openly. The image I have of dad is him sitting in his chair with a big Bible. Even now when I'm going home, I go to his room, I see the chair, the table, and the open Bible. He used to take us with him every time he was helping someone. Um, and he made, he made it clear why he was bringing us, to learn to do the same. He used to work as a prison chaplain. Um, and one Christmas, he brought us in to sing carols to the convicts. I guess this is not something that you can do these days. When I was about 14, we moved houses <coughs> from a small two-bedroom flat to a house with more rooms and a garden. And uh, before anyone noticed, we started to enjoy our rooms and the newly found quietness um, that we forgot about family time. And we didn't meet to play games nor to read the Bible and, and pray. And uh, about a year or so, Dad gathered all of us together in the living room and said, look, I'm very sorry that I let that sleep. From now on, we will meet again 
every day to read the Bible. And uh, there was a bit of grumbling uh, because by then a few of us were teenagers and we were really enjoying our, uh, our time. Um, but slowly, that became again our favorite time. The story of that house is, is quite amazing. We clearly outgrew our two-bedroom flat. I was sleeping in the kitchen with, uh, with the brother and two of my siblings were sleeping in the balcony. And that heard that uh, the town was selling plots, for, uh, plots of land for housing at auction. He wanted to buy one. We didn't have money. Uh, we didn't have uh, money. But the morning of the auction, he woke up to pray, to read the Bible. And uh, he was reading in Jeremiah at, uh, that day. And it said so. Buy a field. Since it is your right to redeem and possess it, buy it for yourself. And the prophet goes on. I knew that this was the Lord, the word of the Lord. So I bought the field. I bought the field. So dad went to the auction, bought a plot for way more than we could have paid, and they came back home. I remember he was talking to mommy in the kitchen, and, and he was a bit nervous um, about how much it cost, but that God will provide. Sometime afterward, we received a letter from the mayor. He decided to retroactively cap all prices to a symbolic amount. And uh, because we already paid an advance uh, that happened to be more than the final price, we got some of the money back. By the way, I don't recommend anyone to just do whatever they read in the Bible that day, um, especially if you sign for money that you don't have. Um, that knew that God was speaking to him. And this is something that we all have to learn, to recognize God's voice for us. When I was 16, I wanted to tell my parents that after careful consideration, I decided I did not want to be a Christian anymore because it was too hard. Their response was that it was a very difficult thing for, uh, for them to hear but they will continue to pray for me. And they prayed. They prayed when all my siblings started a local gang, stealing and fighting with others. Um, and they prayed when another sibling was bullied and even beaten by a teacher in school. And when we didn't have money, that was most of the time. There was this guy called Ben, who for whatever reason didn't like that. And uh, he tried all sorts of things, spreading false rumors about him, tried to push him out of church, um, make others, other people hate him. And one day, Ben exploded. Nea Petrica, that's my dad's name, is meeting every single week with his friends to pray, and this is why you can't do anything to him. That was quite a sight. I grew up in the shadow of those prayers and the blessings that, that came from that. Dad gave up his railway job when I was about 10 years, 10 or 12 years old and became a beekeeper. Now a railway job is uh, what they call here uh, a steel bowl of rice. The money is always coming, it's a stable one. Uh, with beekeeping, you completely depend on the weather. If it doesn't rain in the autumn uh, or in the spring, the trees will not have enough nectar. If it rains during the flowering period, you yet again will not have honey to sell and no money. And uh, we often heard from other beekeepers that oh, this is a really bad year. We didn't make anything. Um, but Year after year, for 25 years now, our, our bees kept bringing an abundance of honey, and we never had anything lacking since. 
um, it says in Psalm 37, I was young and I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And in Psalm 127, in the Romanian translation, it says, In vain you wake up early and go to sleep late, but to those he loves, he sends them bread in their sleep. Mom and dad often spoke about these promises. They were our promises, our family's promises. God always kept them and will keep doing so. I do feel very emotional because when I'm thinking about that, I'm about all of the things that, that happened and my parents faced during what now, when I'm looking through, through my own eyes as a professional, as an engineer, it seems like completely mad, completely bonkers, completely unbelievable. Now, some years have passed since. My oldest brother is 40 now. He has five kids of his own. My youngest sister graduated this summer uh, at university. And uh, we're all quite different. Um, two of us are engineers, two are construction workers. One is a car mechanic. There's a missionary and uh, two language experts. Um, what I find the most fascinating is that all of us love children. And it tells me that we all enjoy that amazing childhood that our parents provided. Um, you might think, oh, that's incredible. Um, my parents made many mistakes. They are saying so sometimes. They are <coughs> telling us some of them. But to me, that lived it, that, that was there. I don't know, they just went over my head. Um, I think that's an encouragement for, for all of us. Yes, we are human beings and, and we do make mistakes, but when we do live with God, um, that promise is still there for us and for our children. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, thank you, Sam, for your sharing. Um, what a wonderful testimony to show that God works in every one of our lives. Um, I want to invite Pastor Evangel up to pray for Sam and Elisa's family and also pray for the life group, this family life group that we're about to have this, this afternoon. Uh, some of us who are young parents or parents-to-be will come together and uh, fellowship with each other and, and also learn together to become godly parents. So may I invite Evangel to pray? Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for your faithfulness uh, towards Sam's family, Lord. Uh, throughout many decades, Lord, you have proven yourself to be a good father who, who provides, Lord, for your children. Um, we're just so thankful, Lord. And we're just so in awe of, of your grace and mercy, even though uh, we're so undeserving, Lord. Uh, we pray for uh, Sam's family, Lord. We pray for Luca and Patrick, uh, for Eliza and uh, for the baby girl that they're expecting, Lord, we pray that they would continue to follow this example of grace, that um, the whole family, Lord, would grow to know you more and more each day, Lord, and, and to be a blessing uh, to the people here in Hong Kong, uh, where you've called them to be. Um, Lord, we pray that you would direct their way and guide their path, Lord. Continue, continue to show the purpose that you have for them here in this city. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to, to us already. We also want to pray for our families here at, at Emmanuel English Church, Lord. It's, we live in, in times that are so, so chaotic and so dark, and sometimes it's, it's easy to lose hope of, of raising a family well. But Lord, we, we look to you, Lord. Would you 
prove yourself to be faithful. Would you strengthen our hearts, Lord, that, that in these times, Lord, we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, um, that each family here, Lord, would know you as Father in a deep and intimate way, and that we would grow in that knowledge together as, as a church family, Lord. Uh, but we pray, God, that um, the way that we, we parent, the way that um, we, we live as Christians, Lord, would, would be a blessing to this city around us, God. Um, yeah, we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.